Welcome to our Painesville Assembly of God podcast. Our desire is to connect people to a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. If this message touches your heart, we'd love to hear about it. Email us at info at or visit PainesvilleAG.com. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to your faith. Let's open in a word of prayer as we get into God's word today. Father, we just thank you. We just ask your blessing upon your word. Lord, may you speak to us today through your word and uh, Holy Spirit, just enlighten us in this text and what you want us to take away today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I love Palm Sunday. I absolutely love this time where we get to reflect on uh, the time when Jesus entered in uh, to the city of Jerusalem. And unlike other times where he was entering in, this was a a time of the Passover. And at other times he had said, my time has not yet come. Yet there was something different about the season and the timing of this particular time when Jesus was entering in. And uh, unlike a, 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 a king who was going to come in by force and, uh, and rule and reign politically, he didn't come in riding on a horse. How many of you know that Revelation says that's coming later when our king is coming again, right? Riding on a white horse with his church and the armies of Israel, uh, the armies of God are going to come. That's coming later. Our king is coming again. But on this particular occasion, he comes in on a colt, the foal of a donkey, and he begins to ride in. And something amazing happens. The people began to shout, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they laid down their, their outer garments in front of him, and they took branches that they had cut, palm branches. We have some spread out here as well. And they began to lay those down on the path as he come in, as he came in. And they began to shout and sing praises to the King of Kings, praises to, to the Lord of Lords. In fact, it says this in Mark eleven seven to 11. I just want to read it again. Then they brought the colt to Jesus, threw their garments over it. He sat on it. Many in the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him. Others spread leafy branches they had cut in the fields. Jesus was in the center of the procession and the people all around were shouting, praise God, blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord, blessings on the coming kingdom of our ancestor David, praise God in the highest heaven. So Jesus came to Jerusalem and he went into the temple And this is where we're going to begin to to take a look today as we're in this series, Seeing Through the Eyes of Jesus. It says this, after looking around carefully at everything, he left because it was late in the afternoon. Then he returned to Bethany with the 12 disciples. So you have great expectation. The people had great expectation. Oftentimes, we have a, a tendency to see things simply from a natural or a physical perspective. And what I mean by that is the political climate, the economic political climate that was going on was one of oppression by the Romans. And and, and Israel at that time was under the Roman occupation, under Roman oppression. There was heavy taxes that were happening. And so economically, things were very strained uh, that were happening. Politically, things were very tense that was happening. And people were looking for an answer and they were remembering that God had promised that there would always be a king who would come and sit on the throne of, of, of David. And now here comes Jesus 
Many starting to wonder and believe, is he the Messiah? But their perspective of the Messiah was not necessarily of what Jesus had really come to do, was to do something spiritually in people, to be a spiritual king. They were looking for a physical king that would come and overthrow Rome. And so as he comes in, there's great expectation and anticipation. They're celebrating the week of Passover. So there are a lot of people that are starting to make their way in from out of town to come and to celebrate. People from, from all over the place that are coming to celebrate an annual celebration of God's deliverance of, of Israel out of Egypt and out of that occupation and freedom. So you can imagine as they're celebrating their freedom before out of Egypt and all the stories that they had heard of how God had delivered them physically out of captivity in Egypt and their bondage and their slavery, that now the Messiah, it's the Passover. What better time for, for things to turn around politically and economically and for a new king to come in and set this nation free? So they're shouting, Hosanna, 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 blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And so as Jesus is riding in through that, he makes a couple of stops along the way and he begins to observe some things. And that's what I want to take a look at. Luke's account that we read earlier, uh, some of the Pharisees, uh, you know, rebuked them and said, if, you know, tell them to be quiet. Why? We don't need an uprising. We, we don't need Rome to get upset. We don't, we don't need them to shut us down. Stop. And unless they, they cry out, uh, unless they, if they keep quiet, then the the, along the road, then the stones will burst into cheers. And the religious leaders were unable to see, unwilling to acknowledge who Jesus was. Expectation is building. And as the, the parade begins to come to an end, it says this in Luke 19, 41. But as they came closer to Jerusalem and saw the city ahead, he, meaning Jesus, began to weep. So once again, we see Jesus, uh, we, we, we had highlighted, he went into the temple and probably after this, went into the temple, looked around, it was late in the day. And so he, he ended up going back to Bethany where he was staying. Does anybody remember where he was staying in Bethany at the house of, of, of Lazarus, who he had earlier raised from the dead? Mary and Martha, the place where, where he was, he's staying in Bethany, not too far away from Jerusalem. He goes back, but it says that, that as he looked over the city, he began to weep. He began to weep. He looks into the temple and, and, and he, he walks away. And what happens after that is, is very, very important because we ask ourselves, what did Jesus see? What did Jesus see when Jesus the king was coming in? What was he seeing? What was he looking at? What caused him to weep and to mourn? What caused him, as we're going to see in a few moments, to uncharacteristically, uh, a, a God that we talked about last week, Jesus filled with compassion when he saw the crowds. Now, all of a sudden, kind of uncharacteristically seems to have a bit of an angry temper tantrum. Seriously, this is what is following this. What moved Jesus to tears? What, what is he looking around and, and, and seeing? And so Mark's gospel, if we go back to that, begins to unpack kind of this out of character, bizarre behavior of, of Jesus that has caused more than, than one person to struggle. And so if you've ever kind of questioned, what is this story of, the, of a fig tree? 
And maybe you've not read this part of the Bible, but I'm telling you, it's kind of it's kind of disturbing. And then Jesus goes into the temple, and I know you've probably heard this before. Turns over tables and and is taking a whip and driving people out. And you think, well, this doesn't seem like the Jesus is in the rest of the gospel. How do we? How do what 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 is what is happening with this with this Jesus? So what is Jesus looking for? And I believe this passage helps us to see. What Jesus is looking for when it comes to true worship, when it comes to true worship, not just, not just singing and praising, but the true worship of our hearts, the true honoring and relationship that we have with our King of Kings and our Lord of Lords. First, true worship bears fruit. True worship bears fruit. Let's read that story of the fig tree and, uh, and you'll see why I call it bizarre in a moment, why it seems out of character. It says this in verse 12. Now we're talking about Monday morning. The next morning, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. And he noticed a fig tree in full leaf a little way off. And so he went over to see if he could find any figs. But there were only leaves because it was too early in the season for fruit. Then Jesus said to the tree, may no one eat from your fruit again. And the disciples heard him say it. Well, that's kind of odd, isn't it? I mean, when you, when you look at this passage alone, some scholars have had some trouble with it. He, he, he takes his poor anger out on a fig tree. You know, Jesus comes in the day before, people are singing his praises, but he goes over, he weeps over the city. If you'd only know on the day of your visitation, and he weeps over the city, and then he, he goes, he looks around the temple, he goes home. It, did, did Jesus like, you know, like there's some things that really irritated, so he woke up on the wrong side of the bed? What, 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 is, what is happening in this passage, right? William Barclay, a commentator, said that this, this story doesn't seem worthy of Jesus. It seems to be a, pet, it seems to be a petulance in it. T.W. Manson, a New Testament scholar, said it's a, it, it's a tale of miraculous power wasted in the service of ill temper. And a, a philosopher, Bertrand Russell, who, who, who wrote an essay called Why I'm, I, Why I'm Not a Christian... He, he used this narrative to, to show, uh, he said it shows that Jesus is a furious man, unable to control his anger, not worthy of the supposed son of God. Is that Jesus? What, what is happening in this, in this story? Why is Jesus cursing a, a fig tree when it seems a bit out of character, particularly because Mark goes to say it wasn't the season for figs. Jesus are, are, do you have unrealistic expectations? And I just want to pause for a moment because I think that, that character-wise, this is how sometimes we have a tendency to view God. We have a tendency to view Jesus. We want to see this side of Jesus, a, a Jesus who we might believe has too high of expectations for us sinner people. Does Jesus have, is Jesus angry at us? Does he have too high of expectations? Is, is this the kind of Jesus that we, we serve? An ill-tempered Jesus who, who, who in one moment seems to be very compassionate and another moment is cursing a fig tree when it's not even the season for figs? I think to really understand, we've got to unpack this a little bit more so that we can have a closer inspection and see what's happening here. You see, Oftentimes, uh, what, what is happening, there are two kinds of, of, of fig trees, two kinds of fruit that a fig tree bears. As the leaves would come in, as the leaves would come in, the tree would grow little nubs. They're kind of what you might call prefigs, okay? 
prefigs. You could, you could see these prefigs, and, and oftentimes travelers, if they were hungry, would take and eat these prefigs. They, they weren't necessarily the fully developed. They were prefigs, and, and, and if there was leaves on a fig tree, it would indicate that there should be these little prefigs that are on the tree, indicating the health of the tree. So when Jesus is a way off and he sees a fig tree, and again, this is by the road. It's not in somebody's field. It's not owned by anybody. He sees this fig tree. They're all over the place in Israel by the road, and, and he sees leaves. He immediately thinks, well, there's got to be these little, this, these signs of fruit, the prefigs that are on there. But upon closer inspection, he finds that the tree is fruitless. Therefore, really the tree is dead. Jesus simply stated the obvious that this was a dead tree. No matter how full the leaves may look, the tree itself was dead. The tree itself was dead. Throughout the Old Testament, the fig tree had spiritual meaning. It was a symbol for Israel, using as a, a metaphor for their standing with God. For instance, after Adam and Eve had sinned, what did they cover themselves with? Fig leaves. They tried to cover themselves with leaves that on the outside looked like a covering. Meanwhile, underneath, there was something that showed the shame and the nakedness and the guilt of their sin. How oftentimes do we try to, to clothe ourselves with an outward view of righteousness and morality and, and, and self-righteousness like fig leaves when our lives oftentimes don't bear true fruit upon closer inspection. You see, much like the fig tree, the temple and what happens in the temple to follow, Jesus took this fig tree as he often does and he uses it as an object lesson for what he saw when he looked over the city of Jerusalem, what he saw when he went into the temple and, 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 and all of the activity of, of the temple that looked like there was, there was great activity and yet Jesus could see through the outer forms of the activity and understand that truly they had become fruitless they had become fruitless what appeared to be full of life was actually lifeless and we have kind of what mark does here they call it a, an aba kind of pattern when you're studying scripture or a sandwich kind of pattern mark begins with the beginning of the object lesson of the fig tree then he's going to move to the story of the temple and then he's going to come back and finish up the story of the fig tree he does this in several different passages when you read through the book of mark you'll see an a what's called an aba pattern you didn't know you were coming to, to a bible college class this morning it's called basic hermeneutics, okay? That's a big word where you study the Bible in context. What does it mean in context? And so oftentimes stories like this when taken out of context can really cause us to question our faith, to question who Jesus is. But placed in context, you begin to see that as Jesus was coming in, he wasn't just coming simply because of the outward fanfare. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He understood that beyond just the exterior, that there was really fruitlessness that was taking place in the lives of his people. And it's the very reason he came to give his life. You see, it's possible to be outwardly religious and inwardly dead. Amen. There's a striking parallel to the story in the Old Testament. 
You know, oftentimes when you read the Old Testament, you, you wonder, what, what is this saying? And there's a fulfillment of it in the New Testament. And we see that in Micah chapter 7 and verse 1. The prophet Micah is lamenting over the unrighteousness, the lack of righteousness within the people in the land of Israel. And this is what he writes in Micah 7, 1. How miserable I am. I feel like the fruit picker after the harvest who can find nothing to eat. Not a cluster of grapes or a single early fig can be found to satisfy my hunger. This must have been what Jesus was feeling like. When he, when he was looking and in another place he asked, can, well, is there faith? Can, can I find faith on the earth? Will we find faith on the earth? Like the prophet Micah, Jesus did not find the fruits of righteousness in the people of Jerusalem. Outwardly, there were leaves that were giving the indication of life and health. But inwardly, they were lacking fruit. There was no fruit. Jeremiah 8:13. When I would gather them, declares the Lord, there are no grapes on the vine, nor figs on the fig tree. Even the leaves are withered, and what I gave them has passed away from them. Friends, what we learn from this is that true faith bears fruit. True faith in our lives, faith in Jesus Christ ought to bear fruit, not just simply have the outward forms of religion or morality or pomp and circumstance and activity that give us the idea that we're doing the right things. But truly in our lives, the character formation and the fruit of our lives comes out of a relationship with Jesus and a, a life in relationship with Jesus ought to bear the fruit of that relationship. The story is told of a, a stressed out woman who was uh, on a busy street. She was late getting to where she needed to get to. And she was following a, a man who was, who, was, who was really driving carefully and, and probably had one of those little DriveWise apps, you know, trying to save on his insurance. And so as he's going down the road, he's obeying the speed limit and she's tailgating him behind. And the light in front turns yellow, and rather than hitting the gas pedal and going through, this man hits the brake and stops, and she is angry. She is mad that he didn't go through the, the light and hit the gas pedal that she could go through. She is just carrying on. She is just cursing up a storm and, and uh, giving him the finger and all kinds of things. And all of a sudden, there's a tap on her, her window, and she looks, and there's a police officer at her window. And she rolls down the window and he says, get out, put your hands up. And he, she gets out and, and he arrests her and he, he takes her uh, back to jail and he puts her in a jail cell. And, and she's sitting there for a while wondering. And then all of a sudden an officer comes and brings her to that booking officer who says, I'm, I'm so sorry for the mistake. You see, I, I saw that, that on the back of, of, of your bumper, it, it says, choose life. And, and then there was a, you had a, a fish uh, emblem on the back of, of, of your, your bumper. And, and uh, you know, uh, you know there, there, there's all kinds, what would Jesus do and all kinds of things. And so when I saw you carrying on and, and getting angry, I heard you cursing and flicking the man off. I thought for sure you had stolen the car. What's the fruit of your life? Are you outwardly righteous but inwardly dead? Does the fruit of your life and the words that come out of your mouth for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks? 
What is the reflection of the fruit if Jesus were to come for a closer inspection beyond the outward leaves of your life? See, secondly, true worship promotes life with God. Let's move from the fig tree now to the temple. Because we need to understand, what is Jesus so upset about in the temple? And it's kind of an object lesson, the fig tree, but there's, there's more that's happening. So Mark chapter 11 and verse 15 says that when they arrived back in Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out the people buying and selling animals uh, for sacrifices. He knocked over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. And he stopped everyone from using the temple as a marketplace. And he said to them, the scriptures declare, my temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations. But you have turned it into a den of thieves. And when the leading priests and teachers of the religious law heard what Jesus has done, they, they began planning how to kill him. And they were afraid of him because the people were amazed at his teaching. This is a, a different Jesus. Jesus, what are you doing? I mean, you're creating a ruckus. Why, why is Jesus doing this? The same Jesus that, that offered so much grace that earlier in, 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 the, in the stories of the Gospels, there was a, a woman who was caught in the very act of adultery that was thrown down at Jesus' feet. And, and he was told, our law says to stoner, what do you say we should do? They wanted him to bring condemnation, and rather than condemnation, Jesus got down and began to write in the dust, and then looked up, you who are without sin, cast the first stone, and then went back to writing again, and then when he looked around, and one by one, the accusers had all left, it was him standing with the woman, who's without sin, Jesus is, and he said, is there no one here to condemn you, neither do I, go and sin no more, Where, where's that Jesus? Where's the Jesus that we looked at last week who, who came upon a, a funeral procession of a widow who had now lost her son and pauses to enter into the grief in the moment and raise her son to life, indicating that he is the resurrection and the life entering her grief. Where is that Jesus? Where's the Jesus that hears the cries of, of, of blind men and restores their sight? Where's the Jesus that not just heals lepers but touches them? Where's that Jesus in this moment? Well, to fully understand, we need to understand a little about how the temple was, was constructed there on Mount Moriah. And you might remember Mount Moriah uh, as the place where, where Isaac, uh, Abraham had taken his son Isaac uh, up onto the mountain to offer him as a sacrifice. How many remember that story? And rather, right when he was getting to the place where he was going to sacrifice his son, his one and only son, the angel of the Lord stopped him. And there in the thicket was a ram that was a substitute. But now Jesus is that ram. And here in that very place, in that very moment, that place, they built a temple. And let me just kind of walk you through how it was constructed. Because you had the gates and it was, it was kind of a rising tower. And at the top uh, was, was the, the, the top, the pinnacle of the, of the place was the Holy of Holies. And then moving out from the Holy of Holies was the, the holy place. And, and, and it's surrounded by a wall. Only the high priest could go in. The priest could go into the holy place. Only the high priest once a year was able to enter in behind the curtain to the, to the Holy of Holies. 
And from there, you go down to the court of the priest where they offer the sacrifices in the court of the Israelites, the court of women. And then there's a massive court that was called the court of the nations or the court of the Gentiles. It was several football fields in size. It was huge. And, and it was here that, that this is taking place. It was here that you have these, these money changers. It was here in the place of the, of the, of the court of the nations of the Gentile that they had set up shop. They had the, the different shops that were, that were all set up in, in this particular area. And, and the court of the Gentiles was the only place where if you were a foreigner, if you were not an Israelite, if you were not Jewish, that you could come to worship. If you were unclean, that was the only place in the temple that you were able to come and, 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 and be. And so people from around, for Passover, people from around the nations are coming. And this is the place where they've come to get right with God, where they've come to meet with the Lord. And in the very place where these people are allowed to be is the very place that they began to shut up all of these kind of shops. They called them the bazaars of, of Annas, uh, who, was, who was one of the priests, because it was a place where the priests made money. They were in commiseration with different business people. They provided good for them. And, and how many of you know that in order to offer the sacrifice, there were some things that you needed. You needed oil and you needed, you needed salt and, uh, and you needed wine for the sacrifices and you needed animal sacrifices, right? And there were certain things according to Levitical law that an animal had to meet certain qualifications, being pure and spotless. There were certain things that needed to be done. So you have this place that is abuzz with all of this activity, and yet it was supposed to be the place where the Gentiles or the nations or the foreigners or the people that were unclean could come and meet with God. And yet in that place, there's all of this activity, there's all of these things going on. And not only that, but there were some things that just weren't quite right. You know what I'm saying? So if you're a foreigner that's traveling a long way, chances are you're not bringing uh, a pure and spotless animal that you have raised because that's a long way to travel. So when you get there, you need to buy an animal that has been approved by the priest, that it's pure and spotless and meets the qualifications. And so you would purchase that animal there for sacrifice because it had already been approved. The problem was they were driving up the costs of those things. And if you came with foreign currency, you had to exchange it into the currency that they would take. Not only that, but there was a temple tax. And so you had to change. So the, they would drive up the price of the currency that would exchange. It was a money-making thing. If you were poor, you could offer a dove. You were able to offer a dove. Uh, and, and normally you could buy it in your neighborhood for like, uh, you know, a penny or five cents. Here, it could be upwards of $4 that you would pay for it. They were taking advantage of people. They were making it difficult for people to honor the Lord. They were making it difficult for people to be able to worship and get right with God. That's what's happening here. If you happen to bring your animal, you had to take it to a priest who had to look it over and inspect it. And, and they would tell you if that animal was right for sacrifice. And nine times out of ten, they would find some kind of a flaw so that you had to buy one of theirs. And there were nearly a quarter of a million, 250,000 sacrifices that would take place during Passover. That's a lot. So what you have is people who have a lot of religious activity going on, 
right? We're getting ready for Passover. We're getting ready for the celebration. We're getting ready with the sacrifices. We're trying to follow the law. Meanwhile, underneath it all, there is a stench that doesn't smell so good. There are some things that are happening that are making it difficult for people who want to get right with God. And, and, and God has set up the sacrificial system. Again, pre-Jesus, right? Set up the sacrificial system. This was the way that people would get right with the Lord. And now you have these folks that are making it difficult and taking advantage of people. That's what makes Jesus angry. You want to know what makes Jesus angry? When we have forms of, of religion and godliness that makes it difficult for people to come to know Christ. When we put barriers in the way that scripture doesn't put in the way that make it difficult for people to worship. That's what was going on. That's why they were so upset. And he came and he declared to them in Mark eleven seventeen, My temple or my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. But you have turned it into a den of thieves. And there are two things that are happening in this declaration, which is from two different passages from the Old Testament. The first, uh, you've turned, the, the first of this is, my house shall be called a house of prayer. Again, the place where they had set up was in the place where the, the foreigners and the Gentiles and those that were coming were coming to get close to God. It was a place where they were coming to be able to, to get right, a place where they were coming where they could offer sacrifices. And rather than being able to have that place where they could meet with God coming from all over, there was all of this activity and noise and, and all of these things happening that made it impossible for them to be able to meet with God, to be able to worship God. They made it difficult. And the second part, you have turned it into a den of thieves. What does that mean? Well, Jeremiah 7, 11 is pointing out about the, the money changers and the priests. They were robbing people. They were in, inflating prices, right? This during a stressful time, the, the thieves. But let me tell you something. Thieves who usually still go somewhere else. To enjoy it. The den of thieves is a place where they go that after they've robbed people, they sit and they 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 look what they they look through what they have what they have gotten, what they have, what they where their robberies have taken place. And it's interesting because this passage actually quotes, Jesus is quoting from an Old Testament passage, but let me read you more of this passage in context. It's from Jeremiah chapter 7, verses 9 to 11. I, I just, I got to be honest with you, this week I found this to be like, this was the highlight of my study this week. Okay, can I just let you in a little, this was the highlight for me. This was like, a, this was one of those like, whoa, moments. Okay, so let me let you in on one of my whoa moments, all right? So if you've been asleep because I was draining on and you got caught up in that, come back to me, all right? Because I, I think you'll find this interesting. This is in context, den of thieves. What, what is Jesus saying, den of thieves? Jeremiah 7, 9 to 11. This is what he says. Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to Baal, go after other gods that you've not known? Then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, we're delivered. Only to go on doing all of these abominations? Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your eyes? Behold, I myself have seen it, declares the Lord. In other words, it's a people, a picture of a people 
who sin and go on sinning and then come into the house of the, of the Lord and do the righteous things and do the things that they need to do and say, we're right with God, we're right with God, we're right with God, and then go back out and keep on sinning. Whoa, that's the den of thieves. It's the place where you think it's a place of shelter and a place of safety. And you've turned the place where people are supposed to get right with God and allow fruit to be born in their life into a place where you think by your religious activity and that you come to church every once in a while and you worship or you read your Bible every once in a while. Meanwhile, you keep going on sinning, doing the very things that God says not to do. But you're back in the house of safety. And he says, you made my house a den of thieves rather than a place of worship. The test of true worship doesn't reside in showy religiosity, but in a God-glorifying life. Thirdly, let's, let's switch gears. We're going to go back again, ABA. We're going back again to the fig tree. The worship, true worship, excuse me, has faith in God. Again, like this sandwich, here we go. <clears throat> Mark 11, verse 20. The next morning as they passed by the fig tree he had cursed, the disciples noticed that it had withered from the roots up. And Peter remembered what Jesus had said to the tree on the previous day. And he exclaimed, look, Rabbi, the fig tree you cursed has withered and died. And Jesus said to the disciples, interesting, have faith in God. What? <laughs> what? what? What does this have to do with faith? Have faith in God. And then he, then he says this, and we, we love to pull this passage out, by the way, sometimes. You know, and I, I, and I believe in mountain-moving faith, okay? Don't, don't get me wrong, but we love to pull this passage out sometimes. Because he says, have faith in God. And then he says this, I tell you the truth, you can say to this mountain, may you be lifted up and thrown into the sea, and it will happen. But you must really believe it will happen and not doubt in your heart. I tell you, you can pray for anything. And if you believe that you've received it, it will be yours. When you are praying, for, when you are praying first, forgive anyone you're holding a grudge against so that your Father in heaven will forgive your sins too. Jesus, what is this all about? What are you saying? True faith has faith in, in God. Let me kind of unpack. Again, the fig tree is an object lesson for what Jesus has been seeing in the temple. All right, so this is really deep for Palm Sunday. I'm sorry, folks. This is really deep. This is just really, really felt led by the Spirit. You see, ultimately what Jesus was predicting was what he had prophetically predicted, and that is that the temple itself would be destroyed in A.D. 70. And that happened. He didn't say what date, but he said this temple is going, there's not going to be one stone that's going to be left upon this temple. And now, there's, there's something more important about that. You see, it, it's not that there was a problem with the temple itself, but the activity that was happening in the temple and the fruitlessness that Jesus was seeing and that the, the fact that the temple was supposed to be the place of worship, the place where people would, would, would get right with God, that, that system had been corrupted and there was fruitlessness that was taking place and there was a replacement of that temple that was coming. 
Later in the week, there was a, a, a placement like the fig tree that withered and died. The activity of the worship of the temple and the sacrifices as they knew it and the way in which they would worship and the way in which people would get right with God was about to change. What does it have to do with faith? Well, to a Jew, the life and the worship around the temple, to lose that would have been terrifying. Well, how are we supposed to get, how are we supposed to pray? The temple is the place where we come to pray. I, I, although in our modern world, we believe that, that God is everywhere present, right? And to the, to the Jew, they believe that as well. Yet, in their context and understanding, there was always a place, whether it was the tabernacle or whether it was the temple, there was always a place where God's presence was. Behind the curtain, there was always a place. And the activity, if I wanted to come and be able to have my prayer answered, if I wanted to come and be able to get right with God and receive forgiveness, the temple was the place where the Holy of Holies was. It was where earth met heaven. This was the place and all the activity around that centered that this is the place where God was. And Jesus is saying, that's going away. That's going to be destroyed. So that would, what? Well, how are we, how are we going to get right with God? How, how's God going to hear us? How are we going to pray? How's this going to happen? The, the, it's terrifying. It's terrifying in those ways. And Jesus says, well, have faith. Have faith in God. He's, he's addressing faith, trust in the faithfulness of God, and oftentimes this mountain moved. The idea of the mountain, the, the, the temple mount, the, the place where the temple was, if it is tossed and thrown in the sea, have faith in God because God has a plan. And God has got a, got a place for you where you're going to be able to pray, where you're going to be able, where God's going to be able to hear you, and where forgiveness is going to be able to take place. Look back at that passage for a moment. What are the things that he says? He, he, he says, I tell you, when you pray, right, prayer, you can ask anything what? In my name, right? Pray anything if you believe that you received it. And then praying first, forgive anyone if you're holding a grudge. So forgiveness so that your father in heaven will what? Forgive your sins. I'm going to show you, all right, what's happening. You can't see it yet, but I know what's happening here. I'm turning the tables over and I'm cursing the fig tree. And I'm telling you that this system, this structure is about to end. And there is going to be a new way in which you're going to be able to enter in, in which you're going to be able to pray, in which you're going to be able to receive forgiveness. You can't see it yet, but I'm telling you folks, it is coming because this way of worship has produced fruitlessness and has made it difficult for people to be able to relate with God. And this system is going away because a new covenant is coming and it's coming through my blood. It's coming through me. And so what does Jesus do later in the week? Right? We're going to look at it. Good Friday. Jesus gives his life, doesn't he? He's arrested. And, and what, when he's arrested, what are, they, what, are they, what are they upset about? What are some of the... He said he's going to destroy this temple. Right? He's going to destroy this temple. This temple is our activity. This temple is, is, is our way in which we, we meet with God. And they just couldn't see that Jesus was about to establish 
a, a better way of worship. He was going to become that sacrifice once and for all. He was laying down his life, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world and no longer would the activity of, of being in right relationship with God and prayer come through the place of a temple and sacrifices of animals, but rather it would be through him and his sacrifice. Think about it. When he gave his life on the cross, he granted full access into the very throne room of God, where only the high priest could go before Jesus, our great high priest, entered past the curtain and became the sacrifice, not just the high priest, but the sacrifice for you and I. And when he gave his life, <clears throat> Mark 15, 37 and 38, Jesus uttered a loud cry, breathed his last, and the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Access has been given. Have faith in God. Access was given through faith in Jesus Christ. If you forgive anyone their sins, your heavenly Father will forgive you. Well, how are we forgiven of our sin, right? I tell you, you can pray for anything. Believe it and you receive that it, it's yours. But when you're praying, first forgive one another, holding a, uh, holding a grudge against so that your Father in heaven will forgive your sins too. You see, the fig tree symbolized the deadness of, of Israel's worship. And there was a hunger for true worship. And Jesus was about to remove the obstacles. And he says, have faith in me because in me, you'll receive. In me, you have access to the Father. In me, you have forgiveness of sin. You see, in the, what, what, was, what was taken away when Adam and Eve had sinned, what were they not allowed to eat from? The tree of life. Jesus has become the tree of life. Ooh, I just, some of you got that and others of you are like, what? I got to think about that a little bit more. If you want life, you got to eat from the tree of life, which is Jesus, the son of God, because he says that old way is dead. That old way is fruitless, but true worship begins with faith in God. And as we have faith in God, then we begin to see the true fruit of our lives, which is not just outward forms of religiosity, but inward changes in us that produces fruit of righteousness. And as he approached the city, he wept over the city because they were spiritually blinded and they missed the day of his visitation. Friends, what is Jesus saying to you this morning? Worship team, will you come? What's Jesus saying to you? He looked at the fig tree. He looked at the temple. He found a lot of outward forms that looked like there was life, but inwardly, they were dead. Inwardly, there was no fruit. Where are you at in your life? If Jesus were to come and inspect your life, and he does, as the Holy Spirit is inspecting our lives today, will he find fruit in your life? Will he find true fruit in your life? Or are you just leafy, looking real good to everybody else? But between you and Jesus, you know that there are some things that are not right in your life. There's some areas in your life and in your heart that are dead. 
Today's the day to let Jesus come and make you new. Today's the day to put faith in Jesus. To put your faith in him. And to allow him to birth in you a heart of worship that will produce lasting fruit and a God-glorifying life. So I want us to bow our heads and I want us to just ask the Holy Spirit right now to just begin to, to, to do some inspection into our lives. Maybe there's some tables that Jesus needs to turn in your life. Maybe there's some things that you know you've been doing that just aren't right. And Jesus needs to turn over some of those tables in your life to get your attention. Maybe there's some things that need to be driven out of your life. Attitudes. Maybe there's addictions. Maybe there's some behavior. Attitudes. Maybe it's some words that are proceeding out of your mouth that are not honoring to the Lord and and you like James says you utter blessings in one moment and cursings the next my brothers this should not be let's let the Holy Spirit inspect the fruit of our heart today and let's put our faith in Jesus and allow him to begin to make us new so that our lives can bear lasting lasting fruit fruit that remains Jesus, inspect our hearts right now. And I ask you right now, if there's something in your life that isn't right, will you just begin to confess your sin to the Lord? Will you begin to allow Jesus to work in your heart right now? Maybe there's some things where you're struggling with faith. We just ask the Lord to, to just encourage your faith today. Jesus, we just ask you right now, to come and inspect our hearts and our lives. We thank you that you are faithful and just. If we will confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thank you that forgiveness is found in you. God, I pray that today you would inspect the fruit of our hearts. And Lord, if there is not, if there is not lasting fruit, that you will work to change us, God. Move inside of us and bring healing to our hearts. Move inside of us, God, and turn over the things that need to be turned over. Drive out the things that need to be driven out so that, God, we can truly have lives that bear fruit. Father, thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you, Jesus, that you've given us access to the Father. We just trust you and we put our faith in you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We pray that you're encouraged by this message. For more information about Painesville Assembly of God, visit PainesvilleAG.com.